Hi, welcome to New Abbey NoHo. My name is Jess Garcia, and I'm the worship pastor here. Today, in the question series, we are asking the question, what if I'm wrong? Many of us have traveled difficult and long spiritual journeys, and along the way, we internalize some shame about who we are or who we were. Join us as therapist Candace Zubernot leads a conversation in how to manage and process some of that shame by being tender with ourselves and our stories. The question for today is, what's a moment when you felt intense shame for doing something against the rules? No matter how silly the rule. I know we normally go a little bit easier on questions, so take a moment, press pause, and when you're ready, join us as Candace leads us in a message for this week. My name is Candace, uh, and uh, I'm excited to be here to- tonight. Um, okay, so when I um, I'm going to talk about this this fear that um, a lot of people that I work with um, seem to continue to come back to, and if I'm honest, um, oftentimes I come back to, and that is this idea of like, what if I'm wrong? So when I was 20 years old, I was at San Diego State University and I transferred to the Moody Bible Institute. So I went from this ginormous, very liberal college to a really small, very conservative Bible college in Chicago. And um, what I had not really noticed when I was applying and visiting and getting accepted was the amount of rules that they had or the kind of rules that they had. Somehow it had totally slipped uh, my conscious mind in any way. But what started to happen unconsciously was that a lot of their rules started to kind of seep in as um, I don't know, like an understanding that like, these were ways that I connected to God. These were ways that I obeyed God. These were, um, how I could have my sense of rightness with God. One of these rules was, um, strange women. We, I could not wear, um, pockets on the butts of my pants. Yeah. So I think like it draws the eye there, which was really awkward because it was the time where it was like really popular to have your uh, pants sit low on your hips so that your thong could show. Um, I may or may not have gotten a tattoo in the small of my back for those exact purposes. Um, but uh, the other thing that happened, I'm not going to show you my tattoo. Uh, maybe if I, if we're in a hot tub at some point together, you'll get to see it. Um, the other, uh, the other thing that happened to me when I was at Moody is that I started to realize that I was attracted to women, and um, I called it like I struggled with same-sex attraction. I struggled with attraction to women. And this was incredibly painful um, and lonely. It was a really, really lonely time of my life. And um, the weekends were especially hard, I think, because I didn't have the um, structure of class and things going on during the week, that the weekends were just tough. Um, I felt really isolated. And so there was one particular weekend where I started to feel like, um, especially sad. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be so comforting and so great to go to a movie theater? 
except for one of these amazing rules at Moody was that we could not go to a movie theater um, unless we were home on break. I think essentially most of these rules had to do with premarital sex. Um, but I feel like having sex in a movie theater is a very bold place. So I don't know what they were thinking, but here I am. It's a weekend. I was feeling especially sad. And I just thought like, if I could just go lose myself in a movie for a couple hours, like it would feel so comforting. So I remember like walking to the movie theater and I remember standing across the street. I mean, it's like, I can totally see the street so clear. And I waited for everyone to buy their tickets. And when it seemed like enough time had passed, I ran across the street. I quickly bought my ticket and I ran into the movie theater. And I sat in the back row of this dark movie theater and my heart was pounding and my hands were shaking. And I felt so guilty. And I seriously, I, I probably only lasted like two minutes before the guilt overcame me and I stood up and ran out. And I was like sweaty and sad and felt so bad. And what I could not articulate then, what feels so clear now is that like I had internalized these rules to mean something about my relationship with God and my rightness and my sinfulness. It, was, it wasn't like, like I was good and okay and I had broken some rule that I had agreed to follow. It was, I was bad. I was sinful. I was wrong. Um, so I tell this story now and I am imagining that many of you are thinking of your own stories. Um, and if I'm honest, this one sounds a bit funny and really dramatic, but it was really serious for me. Um, I remember going back to my dorm room and just like feeling so ashamed. And I think that we all have those stories that now when we look back, it seems so silly. Um, but there was that message that like the, the path to Christ is narrow and it's really easy to slide down that slope. In fact, you could even slide, you could even be on the slippery, slippery slope and not know it. You can trick yourself into thinking that you are on the right path while simultaneously being going down the wrong path, which to me is like, oh my God, that's, that is crazy. That's crazy that I could somehow trick myself. I remember praying so many times like, God, please bring to my mind any sin that I haven't thought of. Um, so that I can confess it. I remember saying the sinner's prayer more times than I could count. And just in case, like, I don't know, I wasn't genuine enough the first time, or maybe something was off in my heart that time. Like, God, please forgive me of my sins. I need you. I'm a sinner. I've, I want to give you my life. I am nothing without you. I am bad. You're the only goodness inside of me. And now all I can wonder is why did I think I was so bad and why did I think God's love for me was so fragile? So what I um, would love for everybody to take a, a moment or however long your discussion time it usually is. Um, and what I want you to do is I want you to share your movie theater stories. Um, and if you don't have a movie theater story, uh, why do you think you don't? Um, and then we'll come back together. Does anyone have have a um, 
a memory like their movie the my movie theater one that they want to share tonight Um, yeah, I'll go. So hi, my name is Nicole. I am the Nicole of the Angel and Nicole, like duo, I guess. Um, and Angel is my lovely wife. Um, and my, um, let me preface this and say that my dogs are in my room. So if you hear them whining, they're like, fine. They're just like annoyed that they're in my room. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my story is um, kind of similar. So like, I remember being in high school and I remember um, this was actually like the first time I had ever been any kind of, in any kind of like relationship with like a woman. And I was like really questioning like my sexuality and my faith and like all of that, that goes along with that. Right. And I remember like kind of liking her. And then I remember having like this, like the, the first time I had ever kissed her. Um, and it was this really beautiful moment. We were like by the beach in San Diego and it was like really nice. And in the back of my head, I was like, no, like this is wrong. Like you can't be thinking this. And I was like a little bit nervous. And then um, I remember like thinking afterwards, like having that, like um, kind of having like a really good moment afterwards and thinking like, man, I know that the Bible says that like this is wrong, but like there's no way that something that feels this right and that feels this like sacred could be so wrong. Um, and so that was kind of my rethinking moment of like, man, like maybe there's something else to this. Um, so that's my story. So good. Also sounds romantic. Anybody else? Okay. I shared something different in group, but I think um, I was going to share, uh, I had a girlfriend in high school and then we broke up because we just weren't sure whether or not it was right or wrong and what we were going to do. And in the in-between time of me trying to figure things out, I went through a really like hard shame um, spiral. And um, I remember her telling me that she was attracted to another girl and it was around the same time like we were trying to stay friends the lesbian shit you know um we also were the only people that were out to each other so it's kind of important that we had that communication um but she said that she was interested in someone else and i also was at the same time but i ended up shaming her and it's one of the like it's like one of the worst um things that i that i remember doing and like couldn't apologize enough about. But I took my shame and I put it on her. Um, and yeah, that was that was kind of one of those times. And fortunately that was maybe a year and a, like a year before I fully claimed who I was, but it was a turning moment because I felt how much I hurt her. And um, And yeah, it was just a big moment that happened, whether it was a shitty moment or not, it was definitely a transitional moment for me. Well, that's really powerful. I think, um, thanks for sharing that, Jess. I think that that's something that happens. I, I actually like, and a little bit later, I tell my own story of like, when we have that, um, oh, our own shameful experiences, how easy it is to, um, put that on other people. So thanks for that vulnerability. Rob, are you gonna um, share something? 
Yeah, I just, I, I always like to take these opportunities to share a little bit of some of the snippet of my story, um, because I, most importantly, I want to make sure people know it's okay to to have a story uh, maybe like mine and to share it if, if you ever feel comfortable or feel the urge to do that. Um, I shared this with my group too. You know, I, I had, a, there was a woman in my life when I was very young uh, that I, I I did love there. It was a, it was definitely a kind of love, but in hindsight, it was so different than love that I've experienced um, since then. Um, but it was so, so hard when it was over. And it, the hardest part about it ending for me was, I think I knew underneath uh, at the time that there wasn't ever going to be another woman in my life that uh, I felt like I could have a romantic connection with. And it was sort of the start of the process of me coming out. and. I had so much to wrestle with with that that I ultimately got into this place where I didn't I didn't necessarily want to hurt myself, but I didn't want to be around anymore. And um, I, I say this almost with a smile on my face. It's not funny, but I, I was in the military at the time and got into a position where I was deployed and in a dangerous situation. And when I the, the first time that I truly was, you know, kind of there was a risk. I was being shot at and everything. I pardon the language, but you know, I said, I shot, shot up in the bed. I said, Rob, you're fucking crazy. What, why in the world did you want to come here? <laughs> so, you know, the, the good news story and all of it on this side of it for me is there was almost a snapping out moment of, of something that says it doesn't, it, who cares what you are, who cares who you are. Right. Um, it's not worth being in a position where you're going to be hurt um, or, or worse. Uh but that was very complicated, right? And there's a lot of feelings that all get mixed up with that. And, you know, I'm, I'm so happy now today that um, I'm in a place in life where I'm just so thankful and, I'm, I'm, and I love my life and I love who I am. But it's not been easy. Uh, it's been a long road. Thanks for sharing, Rob. I think it, I love um, what you're saying. And that that's the the nuance that I hope to also communicate. And that is like, even when there's a snap um, you know, life-changing moment where you're like, oh, I am done. Like that movie theater story. I'm so past that. Um, that's hysterical, blah, blah, blah. You know, that there are still these moments, these times in our life where it's like, oh, but, uh, Ooh, I don't know. Like, what if, you know, um, what if I'm wrong? And I think that it really, it really comes from our understanding and our belief about ourselves who we think we are um, and our goodness or our sinfulness and who we think and believe God to be. I don't know about you, but I was raised in a, in a way where like every question had an answer and the answer came from the Bible. Uh, we could question God, like God was big enough for our questions, but there for sure was an answer from the Bible. Um, I mean, it totally is crazy to me when I talk to my kids now about God and the Bible, they ask questions that I never even had a context to ask because we just, like, you just didn't ask questions. Like they'll be like, mom, why, why aren't the dinosaurs written down in Genesis? And I'm like, you're six. Like what? This is amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but that's just, 
we didn't really, um, there was no context. There was, there was no encouragement to ask questions that were pushing into spaces of like, oh, maybe the Bible doesn't address this. And maybe there's a really good reason for that. Or maybe we don't know the reason. Maybe it's a crappy reason. But what, what we did know was that like, you had to obey. Um, the thing about believing like that is, as crappy as it is, like I said, it also is just sometimes like really nice. It's really nice to just know that you know, right? Like it feels really comforting to, it feels real. it felt really good. Every single time that I rededicated my life, every single time that I was baptized or said the sinner's prayer, as funny as it sounds that like, I have many of these moments in my life, it was really comforting because I could be reassured at the end of those moments, right? I could be reassured at the end of that night when I was lying in bed. And so sometimes we find ourselves now we're lying in bed in those quiet, dark moments. And it's like, okay, I feel really good about my life, but what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? Then what? I also, I recently hung out with a friend and I asked her how her and her husband met and she sheepishly um, said on a missions trip, you know, she kind of like, um, and I was like, oh girl, you do not know who you're talking to. I was like the missions trip queen. And so the other thing that happens is that like, we, we feel shame for these past selves, these parts of us that were handing out tracks. I would go every single Friday night, downtown San Diego and evangelize. I would hand out tracks, um, missions trips and Bible studies and all of those things. Um, we, we now can sort of mock or, uh, have an edge to, or judge, um, feeling like, uh, you know, oh, we were so naive or so judgmental, right? And and maybe in a sense we were, but um, I want to introduce the idea that perhaps we don't deserve that judgment. Perhaps we don't deserve that harshness. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, sorry, I kind of lost my spot. Um, yeah, I. I was just thinking like I similar to, I think it was Nicole who, you know, shared this, this great kiss. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, even now, so I've been with my wife 16 years, we've been married seven, eight, something, seven or eight. Um, and there are still moments where I'm like, what, what if, what if that, isn't the, like, what if that is the path that I'm supposed to be rejecting? Like all of those people said, and it's taken me years and work to not let that ruminate and to just like be able to catch that right away because there there's like this combination also of like internalized homophobia with that. Right. Um, but this idea that like, uh, the path is narrow and I have to constantly be undoing that and undoing that. Um, but the problem with like mocking these past parts of ourselves or mocking the parts of other people is that it blocks us from the vulnerability that is needed and the openness that is needed in creating a new spirituality and creating a new way of believing. When we stay in that edgy, jaded, harsh place, it has a way of um, getting in the way of us being able to build something new. 
Um, but it is absolutely okay to move away and take a break from past spiritual um, practices that were once harmful, right? Um, so how do we move forward? Um, I, I, I was actually had not thought about this story until I was preparing for today. And I remember I was like, I don't know, sophomore, junior in college, um, probably was getting ready to, to head off to Moody. And my brother was like, Hey, um, like when I pray, I, I don't feel God. And I'm wondering what I can do, um, to feel God. And at the time, I remember being very excited that he was asking me this because it was definitely a confirmation that like I was close to God and that I knew the answers. And I'd been like kind of seeing that maybe he wasn't quite on the right path. Right. Um, and honestly, I don't remember what he said, um, but I remember giving him a prescriptive answer. Like in my mind, it was clear that. Uh, he had been doing something wrong. And so whatever it was that I told him, it was definitely like, oh, here, here are the steps so that you can feel God. And when I think about that story, uh, I, feel I feel really sad. And I, I wish that I would have just looked at him and said, like, there's nothing wrong with you. And I love you and God loves you. And as I was thinking about this story and going to be telling it tonight, it was kind of interesting because I, I started to get that a harsh edge towards myself. And then I thought, wait a second, I'm talking about like tenderness in this place. Like, don't even I deserve tenderness, uh, even in this story, as I think about my brother, um, don't, do, doesn't the, the past me deserve a, a soft place of understanding? So how do we move forward? Um, if it's not obvious, I think the key is tenderness, tenderness for all of us in three different ways. I'm gonna talk about these three different ways. Um, this is not a three point sermon, even though it might sound like it. <laughs> um, so the first is in this, some of us have experienced an aversion to some spiritual practices that we've had before. So you might have like this, like sort of resistance to reading the Bible or resistance to listening to Christian music, or even resistance to coming tonight. Um, there's this like internal feeling of like, I feel like I should be doing this, but I don't want to, and I don't know why. And we sometimes think that maybe it's, maybe that is proof that like we're far from God, or maybe it is proof that we're actually the bad sinner that we thought we were, or someone told us that we were. But what I want it to actually start to resonate with you is that when you start to feel that aversion, that there, there's an arrow per, like going straight from that feeling to something really important. It's a little bit like, um, you know, when you eat, you like maybe had spaghetti and then you got food poisoning. And now when you think about spaghetti, you want to like throw up or when you had too much margaritas and then unfortunately like tequila is kind of off the table for you now for a little bit. Um, it's your body's way of trying to tell you it's trying to protect you, right? It's trying to tell you like, don't go there. Remember you got sick, you got sick. And so don't eat that thing or don't drink that thing because we want to protect you from getting sick again. 
So quite literally, like these experiences of not wanting to do something like read your Bible, it's an arrow trying to point you to like this, this message of like, you have been hurt here before you have experienced trauma here before it's, it's a, an experience trying to point you to the need for healing instead of trying to point you to force yourself you're supposed to listen to Christian music, even if it's some kind of like progressive Christian worship music, you're supposed to do that if you want to be close to God. Um, that that's the opposite of what it's needed. You, you can take the time to heal those past wounds. And it is incredibly important for you to name the trauma that you've experienced, for you to name the spiritual abuse that you've experienced and to take the time, um, maybe in therapy, I don't know, I'm a therapist, so I'm going to Go ahead and throw that out there. I've been in lots and lots of therapy, walking through my own um, pain and trauma that I experienced in church. Um, and it really wasn't, it, it's, it's a still a process um, to heal those wounds. But it definitely, it's, it hasn't been until I've spent my own work and my own time getting through that pain and that, that past trauma that I can like move towards spiritual practices out of a place of like curiosity and desire instead of out of like a, a fear or a, a feeling of like, I should. Um, so sometimes this can happen simultaneously, but it can also happen like after you um, naturally move into those places of healing. And that is to push into this uh, experience and belief in the bigness of life and the bigness of God. Um, this slippery slope that we've all been warned about can sometimes make it feel like life is really easy to ruin and it's really easy to get far from God. And what I want to say is that um, it's actually really hard to ruin a life. And that if life is bigger than we think, maybe God can be bigger than we think too. Um, I, I love Exodus, uh, which is kind of a weird thing to like. Um, but uh, Exodus 33 talks about Moses. And so uh, the Israelites have been taken out of um, uh, slavery and the Ten Commandments had been given. And uh, we see that Moses gets to talk to God. It says something like, uh, let's see, I wrote it down. Uh, 33, 11, it says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. That sounds really great. That for sure sounds like the kind of belief system that I was raised in, that I could speak face to face with God, that God could be totally known and fully understood. What I love is that like a few verses down from that in uh, 18 through 20, there's uh, all this other stuff that I'm not going to include. <laughs> That's not that important. But uh, there's this, then Moses said, now show me your glory. So Moses is like, okay, God, I want to see your face. I want to see your glory. And God's response is, no, you can't. You cannot see my face and stay alive. You cannot, there's no human that can see my face and stay alive. And uh, like what the crap this is literally all in 33 like okay so can we see the face of god or can we not see the face of god uh it feels like a contradiction and this is the mystery that has used to really make me mad but now is so comforting to me that the creator of the universe can simultaneously be known and understood and at the very same time 
not at all. Right. Um, Richard Rohr says, I'm going to totally ruin this quote, but it's something like uh, looking up to the galaxies and with a pair of children's binoculars and thinking that you completely understand it all. Uh, my kids have those binoculars. They're horrible. You can barely even see the moon. So, um, <laughs> but as I love that quote, because I think that's, that is so the experience of even, you know, sitting down to pray or think about God or, or whatever it is, any kind of spiritual practice, the temptation is to be able to feel like, oh, I can, I can fully know God or I can know nothing. And when in fact, it's actually both. There is a beautiful mystery. And when we can push into the, the mystery and the bigness of life in God, uh, there's so much more space and forgiveness. Again, like, it's so funny because as, I, so I was telling a friend um, that I was gonna be doing this tonight and we were talking about her daughter and um, she was telling me about this guy that her daughter is dating and, I very quickly was like, oh, mm, no, he sounds like bad news. And listen, she's going to go on this path. And let me, I can tell you where she's going to go. She's going to um, get, you know, I don't know, an H, you know, uh, she's going to get sexually traumatic, <laughs> sexually transmitted disease. And then she's going to like, I was going down this whole path of like, she's dating this guy that doesn't respect her or whatever. I, I stopped mid like mid judgment and was like, I am literally about to go tomorrow and tell people that it's really hard to ruin a life. Like, whoa, this, it, it is such a hard thing to undo inside of yourself. Um, it takes a lot of time and practice uh, to, to get out of the mindset of like, no, there's one way to do it. You wait until you're married to have sex. You stay in that certain job. You do the ministry. You, you have a quiet time every day that, that path. Um, and it was, it's really good for me to see and remember like, okay, this it is still, it still takes time to undo that. And the way that we can undo that is by noticing it in those moments and, um, and pushing in like, okay, what if, what if my friend's daughter is actually going to be okay? What if she dates the wrong guy for a really long time and is still okay? I think that's probably what's going to happen. You know, uh, that that slippery slope actually is not so scary. Um, and maybe even doesn't exist. So the last part of seeing yourself tenderly in, in a tender way is, uh, kind of what, Jess referred to in your story. And that is like um, this idea that perhaps you also deserve tenderness um, in those places where you, maybe you went on that missions trip and you really pressured that person into conversion or um, whatever that story is that you, or those stories, I've got a lot of them um, where you're feeling shame and there's a, a jaded edge to that. Um, maybe you deserve forgiveness and tenderness as well. And when I say maybe, I mean, you do. So how do we implement uh, tenderness into our lives? Uh, it's super easy. Just kidding. It's not so easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is easy and it's super hard. It's one of those things that you just have to start. Um, and 
like I said, I've been to so I've been to a lot of therapy and, and spiritual direction, and I am way better at it now than I was before, but it happens all the time. I can catch myself not being tender to myself. Um, and that it probably will end up being one of the biggest battles of your life. Um, to be able to find a quiet voice inside of yourself that speaks tenderly to you will be a battle. And I meet with people every day in my practice um, that have been working on this for years. And it is a worthy, worthy thing to practice, to practice noticing the places that you've been harsh to yourself, harsh um, in that, especially in those spiritual places, and instead find a soft, tender space for yourself. Um, I think if you allow that tenderness to come and heal, that you'll be surprised by the, the, the small amount of anger and shame that um, you have in those past stories, that shame and anger has a way of shrinking when the tenderness comes in. Um, so I would like you to break up in back into those groups. And I don't know if you guys go back into the same groups or not, um, but where can you offer yourself uh, tenderness this week is the question. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Instagram at New Abbey NoHo. And if you're interested in giving to New Abbey NoHo, feel free to head over to www.newabbey.org generosity. Be sure to scroll down to the North Hollywood Fund. Thank you and have a blessed week.